Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Own Your Truth. This is Brianna Johnson, your hostess. You're currently listening to episode 42. We're talking about relationship types. This is part two of a three or four part series. Just a little update on this month's contest we're having. Virginia is still in the lead over Washington, and then we have Missouri, Texas, and Indiana. If you'd like to boost the numbers in your state, you can do so by listening to the podcasts that you haven't already listened to, by re-listening to podcasts, or by letting others know about the podcast, and every time that they listen, it boosts the numbers in your state. The winning state gets to pose questions, and I will answer them in a Q&A session on one of the podcasts. The contest goes until the end of September. If you've been considering becoming a supporter of the channel, I would encourage you to do that on Patreon. I do have a podcast channel on there now, and you will get more bang for your buck on there as there will be additional content and free things for listeners. You can find that on the link on this page. If you missed Thursday's segment last week, I did finish my affirmation CDs, and those are now currently available for sale. You can find those on my personal website at www.iambriannajohnson.com. We have one entire fire motivation, and that one gets you up and going in the morning. It was great for a dance routine or for a workout. And then we have water relaxation, which is good for reassurances and calming before bed or in anxious situations. And again, you can find those on the website. Patreon members, though, if you're a patron on there, you would get both of those for free with a $10 a month membership. So the last episode that we did was part one of the different relationship types. I did want to give a little bit of history here on monogamy because we kind of touched on that a little bit yesterday. It was originally started by the Hebrews, Greeks, and Romans, and a lot of times it was to bring alliances between families, tribes, and then eventually countries. And one of the reasons they did that was to expand their labor forces, resources, or armies. And that was to help, of course, build up um, their little family-knit communities. So, so originally the marriage ceremony or matrimony was never really about love. It was about resources and property. And many times the women were also deemed as such. It wasn't actually until about 50 years ago that women started to be included as a mutual partner. And I did want to read a little something to you that I found online. This is from the website called AliveScience.com. They have an article on there called The History of Marriage, and they have a few bullet points on here. I just want to read number 11, entitled Different Spheres. It said, still marriage wasn't about equality until about 50 years ago. At that time, women and men had unique rights and responsibilities within marriage. For instance, in the United States, marital rape was legal in many states until the 1970s, and women often could not open credit cards in their own names. Women were entitled to support from their husbands, but didn't have the right to decide on the distribution of community property. And if a wife was injured or killed, a man could sue the responsible party for depriving him of services around the home, whereas women didn't have the same option. 
So a little food for thought, but it doesn't look like marriage has really worked out that great for women historically um, because we were property. We were deemed as property. We didn't have a lot of the same rights as men. And even when we were in a marriage, a lot of it was supposed to be the blanket of protection from the husband. And that was our sense of security. We really didn't have any of our own sense of security. And now you fast forward to 2020 and you realize that women, we have rights now that we didn't have before. We can work outside of the home. Having children is an option and being married is also an option. We have an option to be in all types of relationships, whether it be heterosexual or otherwise. And now we bring up the object of monogamy, whether we want monogamous relationships or not. And of course, these are all decisions that men now face as well. Something else that I found kind of funny and I guess interesting to consider was the age disparity that's become so commonplace with um, men that were older marrying women who were younger. And I'm not talking about the huge age gaps, although that is, you know, something that's been going on for, I don't know, for the existence of mankind. But the funny thing is about that is that men typically, even nowadays, have a tendency to die at a younger age than women. So what this means is that if your husband were to die, you would be left to fend for yourself or have to marry again to someone else who could take care of you. The other thing that's of interest for all of us that are sexual creatures out there is that the man's sex drive, you know, really comes to peak or heightens in his early 20s as a woman's doesn't mature until her mid to late 30s. And so we're not even pairing up sexually at this point if we're having someone a woman per se that is maybe in her 20s and she marries a man in his 30s. We've completely missed the whole sex drive thing. Not that I'm trying to make a significant point on that. Um, just I thought that was a little bit interesting. And I have no problem with older women dating younger men because as what we just talked about, it, it kind of makes more sense, honestly. So if you're you're older, you don't have to worry about your husband keeling over because you know that he's going to be around possibly about the same amount of lifespan that you will have. It just seems to make a little bit more sense. Not only that, but your sex drives could be a little bit more aligned and compatible than they would be otherwise. Just thought I'd throw that in there. I thought it was a little interesting. Take of it what you will. In part one, we talked about the importance of each individual in a relationship, being able to claim somewhat of their own independence, their own life path, um, to find their own sense of self-identity and to be able to pursue that, regardless of whether that meant spiritually or financially or whether it was a career aspect or maybe something they felt was maybe a life calling. Everyone should have that as an inalienable right to be able to pursue those things that they believe are destined for themselves. So that being said, sometimes in a marriage, and I think this is part of the reason that we have such high divorce rates, is that at some point, as people are growing and changing and evolving, and hopefully both people are doing that, they can grow separately and apart and not necessarily together on a parallel plane. As indicated before, I also mentioned that if 
you know, the parties believe that marriage was the end goal and they stop working on their relationship, that that can also hinder their ability to stay together and to be happy in a marriage. So I guess the key ingredients would be that both life partners have something separate of themselves, but then they're also coming together to work on this living, breathing thing that is their relationship, as I did indicate in part one. Now let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about polyamory. Now translated, polyamory means many loves. And people who take on the responsibility of being in polyamorous relationships have to be able to have the capabilities to communicate effectively, have emotional maturity, and they have to feel that they can love more than one person. They have to be able to have that capacity. Now, the main killer of polyamorous relationships can be jealousy, and I did mention that before, is a monogamous issue, but it can also bleed into a polyamorous relationship. And what people in polyamorous relationships have to learn is something called compersion. Compersion is the ability to be happy and even joyful, sometimes even aroused by the thought that someone you love is capable of having something outside of you. So for example, if you have, and this is completely not in a poly relationship, but let's say you have somebody at work who got a promotion. Instead of being angry and jealous that you didn't get the promotion, you would be happy for that person because seeing them happy makes you happy. And it's the same way in a polyamorous relationship. If you're with a partner and that partner has had time with their other partner, their second partner, and they come back and they want to tell you about that, you should be able to listen and to absorb what they're saying and also to be happy for the good time that they had without feeling a sense of jealousy or this feeling of being territorial or even angry because it wasn't you. There are some good videos on YouTube that talk about compersion. Um, There are even some groups out there that help people to practice that and to get better acquainted with that concept. Because compersion is not something that we are taught as children, it's something that is imperative that we learn as an adult, but it's also difficult to learn because it's counterintuitive to the systematic program that we were taught about relationships where we're supposed to be possessive of this person and what they do and how they spend their time. Compersion breaks out of that box, gets us out of that comfort zone, and forces us to address why we're jealous what those feelings are, where they come from, and how we can replace those with something that is more pleasant and healthy for the relationship. I often see polyamory as kind of like a village mentality in the sense of when they use the quote, it takes a village to raise a child. That's kind of how I see polyamory because you can't have three or more people that come together and decide they're going to raise a family or they're going to pull their efforts together financially for a dream that they share together, maybe to build a home or to move to another location. And it's actually a very, very beautiful, harmonious thing when it works right. Now, not all poly relationships have what I just described. That was more of a maybe a poly fidelity type of relationship. There are some people out there who don't really want to get too attached to other people. And 
As far as ethical polyamory goes, their role is to let everyone know, all of their partners know up front, hey, I'm not interested in a long-term relationship. I want to experience this exchange of energy. I want to experience um, this sexual experience with you. And then we go our separate ways. There are polyamorous people that are like that. It's important not to get on some sort of moral or biblical high horse with this because it's so easy to do. It's easy to pass judgment and say, oh, well, they're just a slut. Oh, they're just a whore. Guess what? It doesn't matter. That's their lifestyle. In fact, we could go back to biblical times if you want and talk about the numerous people in the Bible who had insurmountable concubines, um, multiple wives, all kinds of issues that they did back in, in Jesus's time, if we really want to go there. So we've got to take this whole righteous mentality out of this and understand that these are people having human experiences. We are all sexual creatures. And unless you were an in vitro or test tube baby, your life began in a sexual experience. You were conceived by someone exchanging bodily fluids and, you know, nine months later, here you are. And again, it's part of our upbringing to judge, to think that we are morally sound because we are choosing to do this. Are you morally sound by keeping your partner in a marriage and preventing them from having a life of freedom because it's what you think that they should have? Is that morally sound? So before we cast judgment, we have to make sure that first of all, our consciousness in good standing. And second of all, we have to understand that everyone has the right to choose for themselves what kind of life they're going to live. And with polyamory and being ethical about it, there is no rape. Everything is consensual and everything is open communication and honest. If you do not follow those three rules, then that's you cannot call that polyamory. Okay, time for a little bit of terminology. If you are in a polyamorous relationship and you have a primary partner, that partner can be classified as your primary. It can be classified as your nesting partner, meaning someone that you actively live with. It can also be that that person is classified as your life partner. You get to decide. You can have more than one nesting partner and more than one life partner. You cannot, however, have more than one primary. If you have two partners and yourself, and everything is equal among you, then that's something differently than having primary partners. You're now in a triad or a fidelity relationship. And there are several books and podcasts now that are out there that talk about polyamorous relationships. So don't be afraid to go outside of your comfort zone and learn a little bit more about what some people are talking about. And I'm just basically skimming the surface on this. There's always going to be pros. There's always going to be cons. There's always going to be horror stories. And then there's always going to be the happy stories where things work out. The truth of it is, is that it's up to each individual to make a relationship work, like I had mentioned, even in a monogamous relationship. If you go into this, you have to know who your partners are, and they have to be just as committed as you. Hopefully, you're the committed type (laughs) to making things work. It's not like a marriage. In fact, with a polyamorous relationship, only two people can actually legally be married in the United States. So some polyamorous relationships decide to take marriage completely out of the equation because of that factor. They don't want 
anyone feeling like they're left out. Can you have a lifelong, meaningful relationship with a person or multiple people without marriage? Absolutely. Absolutely. But unfortunately, that's not something that we're typically taught. We're taught that in order to be happy and to die old with someone, you have to be in a marriage and a binding contract, a legally binding contract that keeps the two of you together. And again, I don't know about you, but that doesn't necessarily sound a lot like love to me. If I am with someone, it's because I choose to be. I make that conscious decision every morning when I wake up that this is the person that I want to spend my day with. This is the person I want to spend my life with. When you're in a marriage, you don't have to ask yourself that question. In fact, that question's pretty much been taken away from you when you went through the whole ceremony of matrimony. You made that decision right then and there. The problem with doing that once and not ever having to ask yourself that again is that we come become complacent and we no longer look to please our partner. We no longer look to grow this relationship because again, if marriage is the end goal, then everything else after that just kind of feels like it, you know, it dies off, at least traditionally and in the examples that I have seen in my life. It's not just difficult to get a marriage to stay alive. It's almost damn near impossible. And again, that goes into a lot of the reasons that we talked about before. People grow in different directions. You know, they change and they don't always see the same things. The day that I was married, I was 19 years old. I've changed a lot since then. I'm, I'm now 41. And the things that I want changed between the age of 19 and 41. That's, you know, not a big surprise. You can ask anyone if their ideals and their beliefs were different at the age of 41 than they were at age 19. So it's impossible to make that kind of commitment for a lifetime when you don't know who you're going to be in a lifetime. That's not fair to you. That's not fair to them. You can have four, five, or six lifetimes all in a lifetime here on this earth. And your partner should be able to do that too. And we need to be careful that we're not holding our partners hostage from living their best lives. Okay, so let's pretend that what I'm saying here got you at least intrigued and you want to know more. Where do you start? I mentioned the podcasts. I mentioned um, that there's books out there. There are also groups that you can join. There are some in the LGBTQ community because a lot of people within polyamorous relationships aren't strictly heterosexual. If you are in one of the larger cities that's fortunate enough to have a meetup.com that is flourishing and people actually go to, that's also a good place to start as well as there's sometimes polyamorous groups that can be found on there. If you want to take it a step farther, there are dating sites out there as well that cater to polyamorous relationships. If they don't cater to it, sometimes they will have it as an option. OKC does for sure. OKCupid. But some people (laughs) don't like that site because it's not a paid site. You can pay for additional stuff on there, but typically it's a free site. There are other sites out there too. I would encourage you just to do a Google search and find out what you can find out. That's actually part of the discovery process, right? 
So I would encourage you to do that, to learn more about the subject. And sometimes these groups, you can go as someone who just has questions. You don't have to feel like you have to be an expert or that your questions are stupid. The groups that I went to initially when I was learning about polyamory were very, very accepting. They prided themselves on the ability to help educate the masses. You could come and ask all kinds of questions. And of course, sometimes those are personal questions too. You'll have groups in there that are in a relationship and you get get to ask them some questions. You know, how does this work? You know, how does bath time work? How does intimate time with this partner work? Are you guys ever in an intimate situation, all three of you, or is it just this person and this person? You're allowed to ask some questions like that. And sometimes those safe group environments are the best way to learn a little bit more of the hands-on stuff without having to take the deep dive just yet. And there will be people out in the community, hopefully nobody that's listening to this podcast, I'd I'd hope that my listeners are a little bit more open-minded than this, but there will be people out there that say that polyamory is just an excuse to cheat. And like I had mentioned before, there is no cheating in polyamory. That's not what it is. If everyone knows what's going on, that's not cheating. Cheating is when you're doing something secretly behind your partner's back. And there are, you know, relationships that even in a kind of a semi-monogamous situation where you can have an open relationship or the partners are swingers and they'll swap partners with another couple. Uh, So that even happens even in a, like I said, a semi-monogamous or even a, a marriage setting. You can have those options even if you are married to someone. So it does a a injustice to say that polyamory is a way just to cheat. No, if you and your partners all know what's going on, then you've made that decision as a whole, as a relationship, as even a family, because that's how a lot of these polyamorous relationships are. They become family. It's an extension of just you and one person because you have enough love and emotional maturity and wherewithal to provide for an additional person in your relationship or to even have a complete separate relationship outside of your primary relationship. And here's my little shameless plug. I've mentioned it before. I'm going to be writing a book that talks about, it's pretty much Sex Ed 101 for today's generation. So it's going to have a lot of vocabulary. It will be a reference book. So it's going to talk about the different types of genders, sexualities, sexual preferences, relationship types. I'm even going to go as far as have a section in there that talks about why sex is healthy and why we need it. So there's going to be all kinds of things in there, even, you know, stuff as far as professions that deal with sex. So I'm hoping to have that out before the year is over. If you want to sign up for updates on that, you can do so on my website, www.iambriannajohnson.com. Brianna, again, is B-R-I-A-N-A. The link is included in the podcast information and description. Until next time, spread the love, spread the information, buy some teas, sign up to Patreon, and own your truth.